You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Yeah, John chapter 1 and Mark chapter 1. We're going to be in both of those places this morning. And um, as you're turning there, we're going to begin a new series um, this weekend. And this series is going to be something that we're going to spend some time in all the way up to Easter Sunday. And uh, one of the things that I just want to encourage you in as we go through this is to just take some time. I know there's a lot of craziness going on. and We're talking about quarantines and, and coronavirus and all those things. But we're in a season where we get to celebrate the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And so one of the things that we're trying to do over the next you know, five weeks as we build up to Easter is to take some time and just carve out this moment to celebrate Jesus. And I, I feel like that the, there's almost something sovereign about the coinciding of that with the, the, the season that we're in of Lent and, and celebrating Easter and Palm Sunday and all the stuff that we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is that we get to make a choice. Whether we're going to ground ourselves in fear and anxiety and looking at the world around us and really freak out, or whether we're going to celebrate the Lord who is above all. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus said, uh, whenever he's talking uh, in, the, in the scriptures, it says that, that he shakes what, cannot be, what, what is shaken in, in the systems of this world, and he says, be grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom that you and I live in, the kingdom that we will dwell in for all of eternity is something that transcends above all of the systems of this world, the financial system, the healthcare system, everything that's going on in this world. God is not moved today. And so I just really want to invite you into a space of just celebrating the God who cannot be shaken by the circumstances of the world around us. And as we turn to him, he's going to give us solutions. And so as we start this series, I want to read to you from Colossians Colossians chapter 1. Verse 28, it says, Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. And as we go through the series, the series is titled the Jesus Series. And one of the reasons we title that is because the story of Jesus has not lost its potency. And I can remember whenever I was graduating from high school, um, I was just in a really dark place in my life. And I can remember somebody gave me a gift, uh, as we do to graduates, you know, this time of year. And one of the gifts that was given to me by a family friend was a Bible. This is actually my very first Bible that I, I, I really read, right? But I, I can remember getting it, and I can remember thinking, who, who would give somebody a Bible? And I, I can remember just kind of tossing it in my bedroom somewhere. But I will never forget the moment that I was in, in dire need. It was actually the summer after I graduated from high school, and I, God was just really crushing my heart. He was breaking all of the hardness away, and I, can, I was just in this soft place of just reaching out to God, and I remember opening that Bible and just asking God what he wanted from me, and God just so clearly spoke to me in that moment through his word, and it were the words of Jesus, and I can remember reading, just being so attracted to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God, and I can remember reading the book of Mark for the very first time and watching Jesus heal the sick being compassionate to those who are in need, feeding the hungry. I, could, I watched Jesus walk the streets of the world around him and impact it in a powerful way and change it, and it's never been the same since Jesus walked this planet. I remember seeing that Jesus in Scripture and my heart just being pulled into a relationship with him. 
So as we go through this series, that's, that's really all that we're trying to do is highlight the fact that Jesus' story, who he is, has not lost its power. It really is all about Jesus, who he is, how he's able to change your life, and how he's changed my life. And as we surrender that, as Pastor Bo is inviting us to do that this morning, as we surrender to who Jesus is, he will change everything in our life. And so as we go through this series, we're going to talk about Jesus, the man who sets captives free. Jesus is the man who walks on water, who heals the sick, and Jesus who rose from the dead. But today what we're going to talk about is Jesus, the man who calls the common. I don't know about you, but whenever I was in in grade school, I always wanted to be on the A-team. You know, whenever people were picking teams and there were the, the people that were good at whatever we were doing and there were the people that were not. I always wanted to be the one that was on the A-team, but more than just in sports and on recess, I wanted to be a member of the A-team. Anybody remember the A-team? Can you roll that video, Jim? Because you've got to... In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. nostalgia well above in the corner of my eye I wanted to be on that team how many of y'all wanted boys right the boys the boys in the room how many of y'all wanted to be Mr. T yeah right I can remember watching that growing up and just watching you know the 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 theme song just always brings back some nostalgia but the best part of the A-team if you know anything about the A-team is you have that picture the van That is the vehicle of all vehicles. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you uh, just a a secret about my life. April and I, as uh, McCoy is getting older and and we're kind of looking at at vehicles that could be handicapped vehicle, this is actually my dream handicap van. Do you have that next picture, Jen? This is actually a real replica. um, And I could just see that side door opening up, a wheelchair lift just coming down and take that passenger seat out and Coy's just rolling. If we did... And I rolled that passenger side window down. McCoy would be the one hanging out the window and be like, Wah! That would be the most legit handicap van of all times. 
And I told April about this. This is actually probably whenever I turned 40 a couple years back. I was like, I think I want to get a handicap van. And she was like, what? I was like, no, no, no. Listen, hear me out. I feel like that we could find a replica of the 18 van. And she's like, Jory, shut up. I was like, no, I think McCoy would really like that. She's like, I'm not riding that thing. I was like, you don't have to. That could be the boy ride, you know? <laughs> and so here's the thing as I kind of go through the A-team is like, we all have this desire to be on the team that is the best of the best, right? And here's what I want you to see about Jesus. I want you to look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his first disciples. These are the guys that are going to help Jesus minister to the world. Really, literally flip everything on its head, change everything from that point forward. For 2,000 years, it's never been the same. These are the guys that he picks. It says in verse, <clears throat> look at verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now there's something that I want you to, to, to know about um, these who were to become disciples of Jesus, as Jesus was in the act of calling them. He invited them to come be his disciples, and in so doing, he bestowed upon them a great honor. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew culture, um, this is actually uh, ha had happened since the time of the Old Testament coming up. Uh, the, the Jews had actually a, a school that they would attend at the age of five to six. All the boys and girls would go to the local synagogue and they would enroll in school. And that school was called Beit Safar. And during Beit Safar, these six-year-olds all the way up to ten, they would learn to read and to write Hebrew. They would learn to read the scriptures and they would memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would take all five of those books from the age of five to six-ish to ten, and they would memorize those scriptures. Now, after they kind of got done with Beit Safar, most of those kids at the age of 13, moving on to 13, they would learn the family trade. At the age of 13, in Hebrew culture, that was the, the, the time whenever you would go to your bar mitzvah. That was the time when you would come of age. That was literally whenever you would become an adult much like 18 is for us in our culture. Girls would typically marry at the age of 13. Boys would learn the family business. If your dad was a carpenter, you would become a carpenter. If your dad uh, was a fisherman, you would become a fisherman, and so on. And so as, as, as that progressed, the best of the best of the best that came out of Beit Safar, who really were able to memorize the scriptures and knew the scriptures and knew the things of the faith, they would get invited to enter a new school called Beit Midrash. And this was a school for Hebrew boys from age 13 to 15. And they would really sharpen their skills in their knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. And as they did that, they would actually expand to the whole Tanakh, which was the whole uh, Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which is in our Bible. And they would take the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, and they would memorize it, the whole thing. 
I don't know about you. That's intimidating to me. It's like learning the English language is hard enough, let alone memorizing the entire Old Testament. But these boys who had aspirations of serving God and maybe even becoming a rabbi, this was the path to enter into ministry. And those boys who were the best of the best in Beit Midrash, they would actually be bestowed one last honor, okay? This was kind of the, the goal of the whole thing of Beit Midrash, is that you would, that you would graduate from Beit Midrash, that you would leave that, that schooling, and that a rabbi would come invite you to become his disciple. And in doing that, you uh, entered into a third level of training called Beit Talmud. And in Beit Talmud, this rabbi who only invited the best out of Beit Midrash to come be his disciple, he would bestow upon you the way that he interpreted the scriptures. And so you've already memorized all of the Old Testament. This rabbi would teach you how to apply those scriptures to your life and how to pastor other people in applying them to theirs. That interpretation was called that rabbi's yoke. And he would invite his disciples to carry his yoke and to spread his yoke abroad to the people around him to reach people and to teach them his interpretation of the Holy Scriptures. Now listen, here's what I want you to see about Mark chapter 1 as Jesus is calling his first disciples. He walks up on these cats, here's his Peter, Simon, his brother Andrew, James and John, they're all around the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing. Now, I want you to think about this. If these guys are fishing, they don't have a rabbi. And if these guys don't have a rabbi, they are not the best of the best. They aren't the A-team. These are actually guys that didn't make the cut. They didn't get to go on in their, their, their religious education. They didn't get picked by a rabbi. They were the leftovers. And here Jesus is, he comes along, and he sees Peter and his brother Andrew, and he says, hey guys, listen, if you will follow me, if you will become my disciple, I'll make you fishers of men. They drop their nets and they say, this was a big honor. For a rabbi to invite you to become one of his disciples was not something that everybody got to do. And so these guys, with no hesitation, by the way, there's actually a miracle that Jesus performs. The Gospel of Mark just doesn't, catch it in his writings. They see this miracle. Jesus invites them to become his disciples, and they drop everything. I want you to think about these guys. These Galilee fishermen, they had a reputation. As a matter of fact, it says later on in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascended to heaven, that Peter and John were in the temple, and they healed a guy, and they got in trouble for it, and they got in prison, and they got into this, this, this trial with the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And they're asking them by what authority they did this, and, and Peter and John begin to reply to them, and it says the Pharisees, these were the guys who were the best of the best. They got to go to Beit Midrash. They got to go to Beit Talmud. They were the ones who were picked. This was the A-team. And they heard Peter and John, and they said in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived, this is their reputation, that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. It goes on to say that because they, had, they could perceive that they had been with Jesus. 
ultimately these Pharisees were, were kind of taken aback by these two guys because they knew that they were Jesus' disciples. Jesus was their rabbi. And what Jesus was doing while he walked the earth, they were now doing in their normal everyday life. The, these guys had a reputation of being uneducated, being the B team, being the ones that nobody else wanted, the, the commoners, right? They were ill-equipped, common, unholy men. And what I want you to see about that and think about as, as you hear that is if Jesus could use them, then he can use you. If Jesus called these fishermen, he can call you. Not only these guys, but Jesus went on and he called Matthew the tax collector who was a crook. Tax collectors were all known for embezzling from the people that they collected taxes from. And Jesus rolls up on Matthew and he's like, hey, I want you to come be my disciple. See, in our minds, we give so many reasons why Jesus can't utilize us and why he can't use us for his purposes to spread the gospel, to touch somebody else's life. Oh, I'm too common. I'm unholy. I don't know enough of your word, God. Listen, that was Peter. That was these guys. And there's so much inside of us that we want to be the A-team. And by the way, if you think that you're on the A-team right now, you should be sitting here going, ah, maybe I should get to be more common. Because this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, Jesus could have gone to the best of the best and handpicked the very most qualified people to become his disciples, but he did not. He delights in using the common things of this world to confound the wise. To use the weak things to confound those who think that they're strong enough. Listen, God can use anyone, and he calls every single one of us. So why did Jesus choose this B team? Why? If he could have chosen the A team, why did he choose this B team? And it's because Jesus delights in calling the common. It's like Jesus goes out of his way to find the weakest, most disqualified person and say, that's the instrument I want to use. I want the underdog. I want the one that nobody else expects. And I'm going to take this person and I'm going to teach them my ways. I'm going to sanctify them and I'm going to anoint them and they're going to step into my power and do something profound. This is the thing that I love about Jesus the most is that no matter where you are today, you're not disqualified. No matter where you are today, you haven't removed yourself from the equation of God to where God can use you to do great things and bring glory to his name. I want you to look at John chapter 1. <clears throat> and I want to look at one disciple in particular. This is Nathaniel and his story of whenever Jesus called him. This is Nathaniel. Um, some of your passages, uh, a couple of the other Gospels, they name Nathaniel as Bartholomew, same person. John calls him Nathaniel, and as, <clears throat> as we read this, I want you to see Jesus calling this man to follow him. 
It says in verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi. Notice he already affirms him as Rabbi. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here's Nathaniel, who, by the way, went from a moment of pure skepticism to a moment of falling on his knees and professing that Jesus is God. How did he make that leap in the midst of a moment? Because as I want you to see here is what Jesus does whenever he comes to Nathaniel is he does three things. He says, I see you, I know you, and I have a plan for you. He saw Nathaniel. He said, whenever you, before uh, your, your buddy came and in, in, invited you to come meet me, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, uh, this is what I want you to see is there's supernatural insight that Jesus is exhibiting here. Nobody falls to their knees to crying God is right before me because of some observant passerby, right? It's not because Jesus saw him under a fig tree and was like, hey, I saw you at Tutum the other day. Jesus is prophetically speaking. He said, hey, I have a word of knowledge. I saw you under the fig tree, and he begins to read his mail. That's what's happening in this moment. Jesus shows Nathaniel something that Jesus couldn't have known otherwise. Why do I say that? Because Nathaniel went from being skeptical, what good could come out of Nazareth? This can't be the Messiah. To you are the king of the universe. How does somebody make that leap so quickly? Jesus is beginning, beginning to step into a supernatural moment with Nathaniel. Not only did Jesus see him, but he knew him. He picked his character out before he even spoke a word to him. Nathaniel's walking up to him. He said, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He said, a true Israelite. Somebody whose devotion they were known for. How could Jesus know that? That's really Nathaniel's question. He's like, how do you know me? You don't know me, but he does. And he goes from there, and here's Nathaniel who, who acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ. He's the king of Israel, the anointed one. And Jesus begins to unpack something. He says, if you're impressed by me being able to prophetically see you under that fig tree and knowing your character before you even spoke a word to me, your socks are fixing to get blown off. This is the plan that Jesus kind of unpacked. And I know this is super, super fast that all this is happening between him and Nathaniel. But what he's saying is so profound. He's telling him, I have a plan for you. If you're impressed by that, you're fixing to see the angels of heaven. Heaven opened up and the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now listen, this is a reference to the Old Testament that Nathaniel was no doubt familiar with. 
Jacob's ladder was a moment in Jacob's history that, by the way, Nathaniel had memorized because he went to Hebrew school at the synagogue. And as Jesus is talking about this action of angels ascending and descending and heaven being opened and there's this ladder that they're coming down to the heaven, that's Bethel. Where Jacob, if you remember his story, laid his head on a rock and fell asleep and had a dream. And what he saw were the heavens open and he saw angels. There was this doorway, this gateway to heaven where supernatural activity was taken in, was going on in that place. Now listen, what Jesus is saying in this moment is, I am that ladder. You're fixing to see miracles. You're fixing to get to see me feed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. You're fixing to get to see me raise the dead. You're fixing to get to see me do all kinds of powerful things. You're fixing to get your socks blown off. As Jesus is unpacking all of this, this for Nathaniel, he is laying before him this calling. And I want to talk to you about calling for just a second. I want to give you some thoughts that I have. We make our purpose in life. Do you know that you have a purpose from God? God created you on purpose for a reason. No doubt about it. That's what his word says. Go read Psalm 139. God intended you. But one of the things that I think that we make, uh, we make our purpose about too much is about our career. There's so much anxiety as I've, I've watched my kids go through their teenage years, and, and uh, Emery's kind of in this mode right now where she's trying to figure out what she's going to do with her life, right? And she's like, has all this pressure. It's like, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. And I'm like, you're a sophomore. you got some time. Let's pray through this, right? But we put so much pressure on ourselves to figure out our purpose in life. And listen to me. The calling that God has for you is universal to everybody else in this room. You don't have to complicate it. I want to kind of free you up from that this morning. Jesus is interested in, in engaging your giftings and personality to advance his kingdom, but the calling that he has on your life is just like the calling that he has on mine. Listen, our calling is universal. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you call Jesus rabbi, if you are his disciple, that is your calling. That's it. You don't have to make it more complicated than that. Yeah, but Pastor Troy, i got to pay my light bill. I get it. We've all got to do those things, right? But that is your calling. So do not complicate the calling that God has on your life. He's called us to make disciples of all the nations, in every circumstances, in every way, teaching them what Jesus has taught us. However, our influence is unique. Our calling is universal, but your influence is different than my influence. Influence is something that is unique to your, your particular giftings. The circle of influence that you have, that is unique to your career, that is unique to your passions and your desires. You think about the, the different influences that everybody has in this room and everybody in the scriptures. James influenced the Jews in Jerusalem. That was his influence. His calling was to make disciples, but James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Paul, his influence was to the Gentiles. 
You know, the, the thing about influence is that your influence is different than mine. You may have an influence in the healthcare community. You may have an influence in the educational community. You may have an influence that doesn't match what my influence is. Here's the thing that I want you to understand about your influence, and this is a question that you should ask yourself about your career and about your influence, about your social circles. Am I using my influence to get people to follow me or to follow Jesus? See, your calling sanctifies and even focuses your influence. Your calling is to follow Jesus and to enable other people and invite other people into following as their rabbi as well. Am I using my influence to build my kingdom or to build his kingdom? Now, perhaps you're somebody who thinks that you don't have an influence. And I would just submit to you, every single person in this room has the ability to influence somebody else. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're a business person, if you're a teacher. You have the ability to influence somebody else. I was having this, um, this conversation with another pastor recently, and we were talking about leadership and, and just how to, to equip leaders and call people into a, a place of leading other people. And, and we were kind of having this, this debate that sometimes happens is like, you know, are you a, a born a leader or can you be developed into a leader? And one of the things he told me is like, I just don't think everybody can be a leader. It's like, there's just some people who can't lead. And I just said, man, I just disagree with that. Wholeheartedly disagree with that. Because if you cannot, if you do not have the capacity to lead, then Jesus, in his creation, would not have given you the ability to procreate. That The family was the first institution. Marriage, and then being fruitful and multiplying. And listen to me, if you don't have the capacity to lead, you have no business having children. You, you are able to procreate, and so you do have leadership capabilities within me, is what I'm trying to say. You have leadership capabilities within you. God has given you the ability, maybe you're not going to ever lead 500 people, but you could lead one. You could lead in your household. That's what you're definitely supposed to be leading in. Beyond your household, could you have influence in your workplace? Sure. We do have to acknowledge that some of us are better leaders than others. We can lead bigger groups of people. But listen to me. Never buy into the, the idea that you cannot lead another. Somebody else. The influence that God has given you, you are capable of at least leading another. The calling is to call them into the discipleship that you're in. Making Jesus their rabbi. These common, ill-equipped, unholy men influenced their world. Jesus called these, these common fishermen, and he flipped the world upside down. He reached me in my bedroom whenever I was 18 years old, and my life has never been the same. If he can use them, he can use you. Think you think about Peter. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved and added to the church. I don't know what that looks like, but man, it boggles my mind. That in a moment, here's Peter who's always sticking his foot in his mouth and he gets it right under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and it changes 3,000 people's trajectory. Philip. All right, we, we read about Philip for just a second in John. He's the one that introduced Nathaniel to Jesus, right? This disciple... He went on to lead the Samaritan revival in the book of Acts. 
He goes down to Samaria where Jesus talked to the woman at the well. You know that place? He goes down to Samaria, a place that Jews are not supposed to go. He begins to preach the gospel, and revival breaks out. Peter and John come down. The Holy Spirit's released. It's this dramatic moment, right? In the middle of that revival, it says that Philip was translator, meaning Scotty beamed him up and over to a different place. It says that immediately he appeared on a desert road, a wilderness road, out in the country, and he saw this Ethiopian eunuch. So he goes from leading this massive revival in Samaria where large groups of people are getting saved to ministering to one guy on a road in the country. And he sees this eunuch, and this eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip looks up at him, he's like, hey, you want me to explain what that's talking about to you? They have this conversation. The man makes Jesus his rabbi. And he says, look, there's some water right there in the bar ditch. What would prevent me from now getting baptized and making him my rabbi? Nathaniel himself went on to become the man who brought the gospel to Armenia. He was eventually persecuted for his faith, killed because of the gospel that he preached, but not before he made droves and droves of people the disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know how you feel about yourself, whether you feel like you're too common, you're too ill-equipped, you don't know enough of the Bible, you don't know enough about all this stuff to be a disciple that could make disciples, but Jesus delights in calling the common like me and you. If all we would do is surrender to that and say, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do next, you would begin to see miracles happen around you. You would begin to see people open their hearts up to the gospel. You would begin to see people that are, that are so hardened and cynical to Jesus begin to give him a second chance. As we talk about Jesus, I want you to see that Jesus is the man who is calling you to use your influence to change the world around you. I want to ask the, the worship team to go ahead and come on up here. And GTF, if you would stand with me, we're going we're gonna to conclude today's message with a, a prayer. We've already talked a little bit about the, the chaos that's going on outside of our walls and in the world around us and um, everybody that's, that's, that's looking for answers. And just the fear of the unknown is something that can really grab our hearts and do something uh, difficult inside of our emotions, something difficult to deal with. And one of the things that I want to just call us to is to be a people who respond to that and influence that with the gospel. I think that there's opportunities that are going to be presented to you and I in the midst of this crisis that we've got to be ready to step into. I know that there's going to be moments where people have needs that we can probably fulfill. I know that there's going to be moments where people are asking for answers because their hearts are so burdened with anxiety that we can introduce them to the Prince of Peace. And so I just want to encourage you that as we talk about this message of Jesus calling the common, there's something that he wants us to do with the grand brushstroke of our life, but right now even in this moment. To use your influence to advance the kingdom of God into what he's doing right now. 
And so I just want to take a second to pray for some folks. And so I want to ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes. Father God, we just come to you today and we just declare that you're a good God. That you're faithful to meet us right where we need you. But Lord, we also acknowledge that you're calling us to step into this moment, to the moments around us, and be the light of Christ. And so Lord, I just pray that you would cover your people, everybody who's here in this room, everybody who's watching online, that you would cause to well up within us a sensitivity to your spirit to see the opportunities that are around us. Would you make us sensitive, God, whenever we see somebody who looks like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders to ask them if we can help? Would you give us the words to speak in due season? Would you give us the acts of kindness that we need to step into, God, to touch the world around us in Jesus' name? But Lord, I, I just also want to just pray that, that you would remove this inadequacy that's on the body of Christ. That as we come up with reasons why we can't influence the world around us, God, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would defeat that within us. That you would cause a boldness to arise in your people. That we would step into the moments around us and fill it with your love.